0: We are back again, Hoodie. It's been less than 24 hours since we posted our last podcast, which you should definitely go listen to if you haven't already. That one was a, a little an interview with Taylor Finney after he took the polka dot jersey at the Tour de France. We are, well, we're sitting at a table at a hotel about 10 o'clock at night uh, here in Luxembourg. Hoodie, we had some exciting stuff happen in the stage today. Give us a rundown. Yeah, where do we start?
1: Every day of the Tour de France gives so many uh, gifts, so many gems, so many diamonds. And this year this year has been uh, every day, really, one, two, three stages. Lots of stories every day. And today was um, kind of they play the uh, hot potato with the polka dot jersey with our Americans. And then we saw some pretty interesting kind of a, a few uh, kind of blows between the uh, GC guys and that last little hump to the finish. And then, of course, the Saganator. Comes through
0: with the win. I mean, the second show has begun. Pulled his foot out of the pedal at what three hundred ish meters to go, two hundred ish meters to go. Uh, put it back in, and then went on to win the bicycle race anyway. That is about as dominating as it comes, I think.
1: And then he quickly donned uh, some goggles, yeah, you know, <laughs> which are very important uh, in a bike race. Motocross it, goggles. That was very not ski goggles. No, yeah, people seem to think he was going to go snowboarding. <laughs> Uh, Global warming has set in, especially here in uh, Luxembourg. But actually, the stage finished in France today. It was kind of a funny comment. One of the uh, French journalists came up to me and said, Andy, we are now back
0: in civilization. (laughs) Out of Belgium and Luxembourg and back into France, into northern France, and he calls that civilization. All right, buddy. Uh, Anyway, back to the polka dots. As we mentioned, uh, last podcast was... Uh, contained an interview with none other than, than taylor finney we do recommend you go back and listen to that it's pretty fantastic uh taylor is not the kind of person who is captured all that well uh with the written word you really need to hear him to get to get his vibe uh, yeah, I think Taylor is almost—he's
1: he's a perfect podcasting kind of personality <laughs> because uh, you know when you when you have the video sometimes it distracts a little bit just from listening to what he actually has to say. And what he has to say is usually is way out there.
0: <laughs> it was definitely way out there. And this, keep in mind, was about 45 minutes after he pulled on the polka dot jersey in his first ever Tour de France. 24 hours later. He handed that polka dot jersey to a teammate, Nathan Brown, who is also a tour rookie, uh, a young man from Tennessee. Actually, I think he's born in Colorado, but bred in Tennessee. Uh, Nate Brown jumped in, a, in an early breakaway today. He was actually not, wasn't really the designated rider to be defending Finney's polka dots, but uh, he jumped in the right move. Essentially, he covered a move when none of his none of his other teammates did. Took the took a single. KOM point over the first climb, and then broke away with Niels pullet a little bit later on. Took two points over a Cat 3, and that was enough to seal it. He is our new Climbers jersey leader. Again, another American rookie on the podium at the Tour de France. We, we're pretty sure that this is the first time we've had two Americans in the Polka Dot jersey in the same Tour de France ever, actually.
1: Oh, that's... If you start to weasel it down to even just being a Tour de France rookie's first tour uh, in 2017, it's certainly the first time that's happened. (laughs) But it's interesting to kind of watch those battles in in that first hour of racing. Um, We'll see a lot more of these in, in the days to come. I'm kind of curious, you know, we're we're actually driving from the start to the finish, but this year's Tour de France is being broadcast uh, start to finish on most, at least Eurosport and some of the other feeds are putting the whole race out there, and it's a chance for people to really see that battle to get into the breakaway, and as you said, Kaylee, you know, he wasn't even their number one guy, because a team, well, they go into a stage, they have a plan, it's like, okay, it's your day to go, you try to get out there, but they'll have plan A, plan B, plan C. It sounds like he was plan C, and it worked out, and what a great story.
0: Yeah, essentially everybody has a role, and uh, originally it was supposed to be, I think Dylan Von Barl was the guy that was trying to get in, in moves today, and uh, he met, made it into a couple, but they essentially got reeled back because the composition wasn't right, and then good old Nate Brown ended up in the right one. So is tomorrow Andrew Tillancy's to going to end up in the
1: uh, <laughs> Polkadot jersey? They're just going
0: to keep maybe passing Maybe the yellow around, jersey. Just keep passing around. Anyway, we will have Nate Brown on the podcast pretty regularly this month. Uh, This is something that we arranged before the race and and without, any obviously, any knowledge that he would be in the polka dot jersey and on the podium uh, on stage three. But tonight happens to be the first time that we we have a a Nate Brown installment. Uh, And so, essentially, we asked him to record himself from his hotel room, gave him a couple things to chat about told him to uh, provide us with a little bit of scene, and he has just sent that audio over. So let's listen in.
1: You have heard and read about the
2: state of Tennessee Down in the sunny states is where I want to be Where the valleys are so green and the mountains are so tall You will know just what I mean when you hear them say you all."
3: It's Nate Brown here. I'm uh, sitting here in my plush double tree hotel room when i say plush like we're really talking plush here we got beautiful pillows a nice headboard to our uh, to our bed it is, it's just a gorgeous hotel probably the best one we've been in so far uh my room is gone so it's just me you know hanging out solo dolo i got my polka dot hanging above the bed you know for good luck yeah today you know today was something special extremely special i uh, my dream was to make it to the Tour de France, and I accomplished that dream, and I never would have thought in a million years I'd be standing on the podium at the Tour de France wearing the polka dot jersey. It's it's a non-real feeling. I have no words for it. The break, you know, it all started out. I- I was kind of the third man to look for the breaks. It was Dylan, and we wanted to keep the jersey on Taylor. So obviously it would be a hard task to go on the break two days in a row at the tour. So Dylan was obviously the guy we really wanted to get in there, flat stage for him. Uh, and he tried super hard in the beginning. He was hitting a lot of the moves, and I was just, you know, I was I was lurking in the shadows, just, you know, waiting, biding my time. If he needed me, I'd, I'd come, come up to the front, and... A group of three or four went up the road, and, and that was it. Like they blocked the road off. The peloton was happy; it was gone. And there was a wanty guy, and I knew he wanted to go super bad. And he was just—he was trying to get by everyone. And finally, a little space opened. He went in the dirt, and I just latched on, and we hit it, and we went across, and we hit the first KOM, and I—I uh, I attacked probably 800 meters from the KOM, and I, I took it. One guy came after me, but I had a big enough gap. I held it, and at the moment, I started to believe, like, okay, I, I can actually take the KOM jersey. The second one, you know, I was I was a little bit worried because it was a bit more of a sprint than a KOM, and we hit it, and they started, you know, full-out sprint, and obviously my little skinny ass can't sprint that well, so I obviously got waxed in that one. And it was all going to come down to the last one. And me and the Kadusha guy, the Kadusha guy actually got the KOM and he just kept going. He wasn't stopping. And I was like, that's my ticket to the next KOM. I have to catch him. And I rode across to him and it was just him and I and the other guys were working hard to bring us back. But we opened up about a 30 second gap. And we came into the final KOM or the third KOM, the Cat Three, like the big one. This one would decide who was going to take the jersey near him. We were tied on points, and I knew if I had towed him to the to the top of the KOM, he would out sprint me. Like there's no way I was going to beat him in a sprint. So I was like, you know what? I got to I got to hit him early. So, so I hit him with two K from the top, like super early. But I was like, I'm not taking any chances. I'm hitting him now. And I opened up a little gap, and he sat right there. And I was like, oh, no, no, he's going to come back. And I just clicked it down one more gear and got out of the saddle and, and opened the gap a little more. And, and I had 10 or 15 seconds, and I think that discouraged him. But I was, like, too scared to, to sit up because Tom's in my ear going, oh, okay, man, you can sit up. And I was like, no way, I'm not sitting up. Like, there's not a chance... I'm giving this guy to come back. So I I drove it all the way to the top, and I think I had like 25 seconds by the top. And yeah, and and then, I mean, the jersey was pretty much secured. Charlie told me, he said, the only way you can lose the jersey now is if the guy, someone wins the last kom and wins wins the stage. And I was pretty confident that wasn't going to happen. And it didn't, and I took the polka dot jersey, and I'm so excited to have it, and hopefully I can keep it another day.
0: Well, I'm pleased to hear that Nate Brown's hotel room is uh is nice tonight <laughs> better than ours actually ours is
1: not
2: too ours
0: bad is too bad. Oh, well mine i'm sharing a room with uh with our tech editor dan Cavalari, and the beds are rather small and quite close together but uh we'll survive i will survive <laughs> uh anyway moving on a lot has happened in the last few days and sometimes hoodie and i well, we just miss stuff. We're on the ground. You know, we're in the car a lot. Hitting the press, press buffet. We're eating the press buffet, you know, got our heads down, focused on what's happening right in front of us. Sometimes we miss the forest for the trees, so to speak. So that means we need to call on a little bit of backup. Lucky for us, we have Spencer Powelson and Fred Dreyer back home in Boulder, Colorado, which I think is pretty much the the world epicenter of cycling oh, uh, it particularly I mean, in July it
1: completely is I mean everyone who's everyone is in Boulder right now <laughs> which is why we're not
0: there uh, Spencer and Fred they filed a little uh, well they filed their hottest of hot takes essentially the boulder uh, takes the Boulder takes uh, have come in via the wire and we would be remiss not to not to send them straight back out to you
4: Okay, this is Fred Dreyer with Spencer Pollison. We are at the Velo News World Headquarters.
5: It is July third. What are we doing, Spencer? This is we're supposed to have today off. I think this is how our founding fathers wanted us to celebrate. July Fourth.
4: Yeah, by uh, sitting around having takes on bike racing, talking
5: about a French bike race the day before the holiday. Yeah, that's exactly. That's it's very American of us.
4: Hey, uh, hey, Alexander Hamilton, we're just living up to your expectations. Uh, let's get into it. We've had three stages of the Tour de France. We have our guys over in uh, over in France who are running this podcast and it's just it's time for us to come with some fiery takes because i don't know about you spencer but i've been watching this race you know in my
5: basement and my pjs and every single day i've just been the takes have been welling up Mm, yep and i mean we're getting great reporting from the guys on the ground but i don't think they quite have the same incisive wisdom that we do as as the average viewer does sitting at home watching a live stream so let's get into it here all right stage one
4: first take Out of the gate. Um, Dusseldorf, uh, you know, I think it was the rain, the slick roads, made it kind of a weak
5: start. I'm going to go farther than that and say it was terrible. This was a really crappy way to start a Tour de France. All these crashes, riders were creeping around corners so slow because it was basically like a skating rink. You were seeing mechanics sliding around wearing sneakers on that Pavement—it was ridiculous. They needed—they needed to do what baseball stadiums do when there's a rain delay and cover the whole course with some tarp to keep it dry before the race started. Ooh, good take. Or maybe they could put some type of—I don't know—absorbent
4: material down on the ground or like I don't know. Maybe. Um those those pads they put on a hockey rink when they have the like anthem singer come out and walk around. Just something to prevent
5: those guys from anything, slipping. Anything. Yeah. And honestly, like at the very least, how about a little padding on those metal barriers? Because it was pretty ugly. We needed essentially the equivalent of bumper bowling for these riders, because they were crashing so much and these barriers ugh, it was ugly. Soggy
4: take. Yeah. Give me a hay bale, give me a yoga mat, give me a bouncy castle, something to put in that turn because take number two, uh, Alejandro Valverde is out of the race because there was no padding on one of those covers. Spencer, do you have, you have a flaming hot take about Alejet not being in the race? I mean, my hot take is just, I, you know, this this Nairo
5: Quintana is obviously going to win the Tour de France now. Yeah, now that he doesn't have his teammate as a rival. <laughs> yeah, now that he doesn't have to worry about Alejandro Valverde attacking it was, up the race. It was ugly. We didn't. We don't want to see that happen. And honestly, it could be the end of Valverde's career. Really, yeah. for him, for him to have injured his kneecap like that it's a really bad one
4: yeah we are all uh sending our best serious take time to alejandro vaverde get well soon buddy yeah. um god you know who strong take right here team sky mm. four guys in the top 10 huh, after yeah. that uh, wow. time trial really well prepared uh take they were the most prepared team in the peloton yeah which ugh, it's I got a, I got another take here. They were playing possum in the lead up to the tour because all we heard coming out of the mouths of rivals and even Chris Froome was like, "Hey, maybe uh, maybe Chris Froome isn't as strong as in years past. Maybe Team Sky isn't as strong as in years past."
5: Total sandbag. Yeah. Total sandbag. Hey, uh, you know the last time that a team put four riders in the top ten of an opening stage time trial? When in the was de France? When was that? Oh, that was two thousand nine. Uh-huh. That was Team Astana. That was Alberto Contador, mm. Lance Armstrong. Oh. Levi Leipheimer Andreas Cloden. Great vintage that year ah, Yeah interesting stuff Anyway um, Sky was kind of In the hot seat um, After that time trial too Uh the, the FDJ coach was uh, calling them out for these skin suits they were wearing.
4: Yeah, these like vortex-causing skin suits Ooh. that apparently uh, have the ability to break like the wind and cause a vortex <laughs> to suck you around. Wow. Uh, so, uh, you know, we had a, we have some takes around this. Namely, um, is this cheating? Does this violate the rules? You know, the, the UCI commissaires and the Tour de France decided that No. They're not breaking any rules here. Yeah. But, um, Spencer, we got some heat
5: from a guy who had a take of his own, Yeah, right? that's right. Old Lance Armstrong. He's got a podcast going for the Tour de France, and he was coming at us yesterday on his podcast, accusing us of doing a clip clickbait headline, because uh, we use the C word, the cheating word, Ooh, big C. in a headline. and. um you know, maybe he's got a point. Maybe old lances is... Uh, I'll tell you what, Fred. Strong take. Strong take. You know, he's a member of the media now, uh-huh. being as he has a podcast and also a blog on some other website. Um, so I think it's fair to say he is the foremost expert... When it comes to cheating and cycling, that's in the, true. In the media, so I mean, I think we need to respect his expertise in the, in the field of cheating, and uh, step back a little, stay in our lane, and uh, yeah, thanks for uh, thanks for joining the conversation. Strong cheating takes. I mean, yeah, he's kind of the professor of the big C cheating, uh, the PhD we in bow- cheating. We bow to it before his feet in terms of the the expertise on cheating.
4: Um, moving on, um, stage two. This was the stage that finished in Liège. Wonderful Liège. Liège. Industrial city where everyone's covered in soot. Um, So... First of all, we have this crash that occurred pretty early in the stage. And, you know, here's my first take about this stage. Every year we see GC guys hit the deck at some point in that first week. We see some mechanical calamity or crash just befall every single GC guy, it seems like. So uh, my take on this one, the GC guys, hey, they just figured, like, let's let's get it up. Let's get it out of the way. All a gentleman's together. agreement. Gentlemen's agreement. It was let's a gentleman's all, agreement. Yeah, let's all crash at the same time.
5: You know what else this is, his, Fred? Uh, this is just a continuation of, of of Team Sky playing possum and sandbagging a little. Uh, yeah. uh, you know, uh, Froome crashes. Jarrett Thomas crashes. They're just like, hey guys, uh, whoops, we crashed. Uh, yeah, we're really not together for this tour. Uh, you don't have to worry about us. We're just going to screw around and crash. No. But, I'm, uh, I'm not falling for it. Yeah, I, just I, wait until Wednesday's Planche de Belfi finish, and then I, we'll see if they're really playing possum. So here's my take. I'm looking at Team Sky. I'm looking at Chris Froome. I see guys who are so
4: confident who are in the driver's seat, and they are not scared of Richie no. Porter or, or Alto Contador. Yeah, they're
5: um, fine. They're fine. Yeah, well, and so, Fred, I think we got to talk about, okay, the sprint was was pretty good sprint. Marcel yeah. Kittle wins. But the story of the day, Taylor Finney getting that KOM jersey, you and I, uh, we, we had a little difference of opinion on this matter, didn't we? It's
4: true. I think we are in lockstep that this is a great story for Team Cannondale. Dre Peck, yeah. a great story for Taylor Finney, and a great story for American Cycling in general. I think where we differ, though, is the level of greatness that this mm. story is. To me... Um, I looked at, you know, the, the way that most people gauge the world, which is Twitter reaction, unfortunately. <laughs> and, uh, you know, boy, Twitter was having puppies over this news. Oh, my God, Finney's back. You know, he's yeah. the crash and this is the bookend. Um, I'm very happy for Mr. Finney. He looked great in polka dots. But, you know, I think I would have I would have been more likely to say Taylor Finney is back and has, like, reached the top of the mountain. Maybe if he, like,
5: I don't know, won a stage Ooh, or, yeah, like, okay. I don't know, took the yellow jersey so or I, something. I see your point, Fred. It's not like this is some it, – it, it's it's an accomplishment, but um, I think what we're forgetting is that to get in the breakaway uh-huh. in the first stage of the tour is so, so hard. Everybody wants to be in that breakaway. It's true. And to get the polka dot jersey in that first stage, that's even harder because essentially – Every French pro cyclist, that's what they're gunning for. That's their world championship, apart from maybe Romain Bardet or Nasser Buhani. Even French
4: guys who weren't in the race were trying to get
5: that. This is all they really want, or can even have for that matter. So I think what we can safely say is that Taylor Finney could be one of the best French pro cyclists That's so true. if he were to change his nationality he'd be he'd be really mm-hmm. front page material there in France so Fini. maybe consider it that could be a good PR move for Cannondale it's true
4: either way uh, chapeau to Taylor yeah. chapeau to Cannondale it was a great story um, I'm still going to be holding my top 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 joy for Taylor though for when he does win a uh, world tour race more which to come I think, I think yeah. there's more to come yeah I think there's more to come right uh, moving on, uh, stage three. That's today's stage finished in... Tuesday. L- Tuesday. Or Tuesday stage. No, Wednesday, Wednesday. What is today? Monday. Oh, man. We're idiots. We're in... Uh, <laughs> it's La- Monday. Long V, France. Yes. Won by Peter Sagan. Peter. Peter Sagan. Um, first off, in the waning kilometers, we saw BMC do a lot of work on the front. And this harkened back to a conversation that we had last week, which was like, wait, is BMC here for Richie Port?" Are they here for Greg Van Avermaet? Whoa, what's going on here? So, my, my take: Ooh, I think BMC burn in a few too many matches on a attempt to get a stage win instead of shepherding Mister Port saving the legs for uh, Wednesday stage.
5: That's a good point, and I think that um, I think also you can say that Richie Port looking a little thirsty. You know, he's trying to prove something out there. It's true. And, uh, I'm pretty sure you don't need to do that and. It's not gonna, not gonna do. He was trying to set up Van evermet, I think, but um, that kind of goes counter to the whole like we're all in for port storyline that we got from BMC. So uh, BMC kind of sitting on the fence a little. Need need to commit, I think, to you, one of them.
4: You know who's a guy who could have won today's stage? Mikhail Kwiatkowski. He has the skill set to win a stage like that. Yeah,
5: Sky was not setting him no, up. <laughs> no,
4: he is a domestique. Yep. He knows his role. Know your role, pure BMC. domestique. Yeah, 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 know your role. Um, the the finish though came down to. Uh, three up sprint. Michael Matthews, Peter Sagan, and Dan Martin. Good to see Dan Martin up there. Dan Martin in the mix. Got to be look. Got to be feeling good if you're going for sprints. Um, Peter Sagan won his first stage of the tour, which uh, gets me thinking about the story Kaylee Fretz wrote for the site last week about uh, the number of stages that Peter Sagan could mm. win at
5: this year's tour. Yeah, we're again getting, getting some people swimming in our mentions on really? Twitter, getting a little up in arms about this kind of this rhetorical question about can he win 11 stages in this Mm, tour? And um, we were wrong. He can't. But he could win 10 still. Oh, man, the quest he just for 10. Yeah, I don't think stage two is really cut out for him. No, 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 no. no. way, no we're, way. Th- we're throwing no that take way. away, yeah, but no hey, way. new hey, take. 10, 10 wins, though. 10, good round number. Maybe, maybe. We'll see what happens tomorrow. It's going to be a sprint stage, so. Um, listeners of the Vell News podcast should note that we'll be adjusting the
4: que- Peter Sagan's quest for stage wins yeah. uh, Based on the numbers, for of now st- it's ten stages he loses. Let's stick to ten for yeah, now. So ten.
5: Um, hey, the other thing about Sagan, like how he, he pulls out of his pedal and has to reclip in in like the final few hundred meters. Sure, still wins easily. Uh, whoa, yeah. like, that's you got to be kidding me! Like that's that's next level there.
4: Yeah, uh, here's a take: Peter Sagan can beat. Michael Matthews and Greg Van Avermat with one leg. One-legged, yeah. yeah he, one. should, he should do the rest of the
5: sprints with one leg. That would be quite a stunt. Mm, but, um, Fred, this got me thinking. Um, as per usual, I think we need to, um, to, to give people a bit of our wisdom as Cat 3s, mm. expert Cat 3s. Circle up the Cat 3s out there. We need to tell people um, how to deal with this type of situation if you pull out of a pedal in a crucial moment of a bike race.
4: Ask a Cat 3,
5: what do you do if you pull out of a pedal? Mmm, Fred, well, I think above all, you got to remember this is a bike race. You cannot slow down. You got to be full gas. Okay. And so, if that means like slipping off your pedal and cracking your shin open on it or, or, you know, sliding your foot on the ground or some, it's worth it. It's, so a, it's a race.
4: Glory the race is, the, is on. Glory is the most important part. So, I say maybe try to strider, you know, strider bike it. Yeah that could work on a steep uphill. Um, I say maybe, you know, if, if you do pull out though, you do have a good excuse, you know, excuses are like currency for yes, cat threes. Great. Excuse. You know, we, we trade them. Um, I guess the other thing to take note here as a cat three is you got to do everything to, uh, everything you can to prevent yourself from having pulled out. Mm. So my cat three advice is treat the tension on your pedals as if it was like the the ski binding din for a world cup mogul skier
5: crank that sucker down yeah and then i'd recommend a zero flow cleat too just to be safe you don't need your feet moving around no, that's no. True. you got to keep that you got to keep that tight and then um when you're on your training rides and you just always take the right turns at intersections, like a UPS truck. It's gonna be it's gonna be a little safer that way. You don't have to stop. I want Unclip. that tension so tight that you like need mechanical assistance just to get off your bicycle. Just text your wife when you're getting close to the garage, and huh? she can uh, catch you when you when you roll up the driveway, so you don't tip over. Ugh. Spencer, I don't know about you. I'm exhausted of takes. Yeah. That's it. I don't know what to do now. Uh, I guess we're gonna have to just go take a nap and let the guys handle the rest of the tour for the day. Yeah. And. Uh, yeah, we'll be back. We'll be back at it. Watching, uh, watching stage, uh, watching stage four tomorrow morning.
4: All right, educated professionals, it's back to you. Here's some good news for all our listeners. Research has shown that avid cyclists have 45 percent lower cancer risk, 18 percent lower heart disease risk, and 28 percent lower risk of early death. Good stuff, right? It gets better. This week's sponsor of the Vella News podcast, Health IQ is a life insurance company that rewards you for being fit as a fiddle. Head over to healthiq.com
0: slash to get a quote. You'll find a rate that reflects your healthy lifestyle and shows your support for this podcast at the same time. bit of a blast from the past, starting the race in Germany. You know, there was some controversy surrounding guys like Jan Ulrich. Jan was not invited Uh, not invited to the start in Germany. Marcel Kittel said that he wanted Jan to sort of, you know, come completely clean before he was truly invited back. But then at the same time, we have some French heroes wandering around who were most certainly tied to doping back in the day. And, you know, they have their faces on the side of of cars. They're on broadcast television. They are welcomed back with open arms, while Jan O'Rourke was not. Which brings us to... Another rider from that particular era, uh, a rival of Jan Ulrich's, so to speak, who's also attempting to make a bit of a comeback this summer. What's going on, Hoodie?
1: Yeah, very interesting. Uh, This has kind of been the subplot really in the last five, ten years, even more. Um, You see it play out in almost every country, and every country has a different little wrinkle or twist to the debate of when a doper, ex-doper, can kind of get welcomed back to the fold. You've seen some countries um, that could kind of almost ignore that issue and kind of brush it under the table, like, well, you could maybe say Spain. And then, <laughs> Spain, Italy, France a little bit. <laughs> yeah. And then other countries where, um, you know, very strict kind of sense of uh, ethics and, and, and morals they, they, you know, they demand this uh, repentance. It's almost like a split between Europe, between the the Protestant and the Catholics. <laughs> I mean, they, the Catholic countries say, okay, we've all been down that road.
0: Come on back home. <laughs> Whereas the Protestants are like, no, man, we're going to burn you at the stake. You've put this hypothesis out before me uh, in the past, Hoodie. Uh, and I actually think that there, there's something to it. There is, there is that sort of, uh, well, there's the, the Catholic tradition of forgiveness uh that 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 is i think quite important when you're discussing things like doping and the ethics of bringing back former dopers
1: well i think uh, you know i'm married to a catholic so i've kind of (laughs) seen this up close and personal but the idea that uh i think uh you know in a broad sense you have the idea that well we're all human and uh, humans can make mistakes and we're all Children of God.
0: <laughs> All right,
1: we're just, we're going down the <laughs> We're discussion. going down a rabbit hole again. <laughs> well, the point of this,
0: the point of this rather circuitous introduction, was to actually, hoodie. You talked to David Walsh today. I did. I saw.
1: Uh, I saw Mr. Walsh. Uh, you know, an esteemed colleague of ours who's been around in the in the trenches, in the front line, the doping wars, of course, back at, from you know, back from really in the and the, he was the one one of the one of the first journalists who stood up and asked Lance, you know, can we believe you, Lance Armstrong, that is, and uh, we were at the uh, Skybus today, saw Mr. Walsh there, and uh, so I just. Took a few moments to ask uh, Mr. Walsh, you know, what he thought of uh, Lance Armstrong, kind of really tiptoeing back in to the uh, cycling milieu,
0: right? Because because he ha- he has a blog and a podcast on with Outside Magazine this July, uh, and it's very public, and it's sort of his his first real consistent return to cycling media since his
1: downfall, essentially. Yeah, I mean, Lance, uh, you know, he was really the king of the world back in the day, and, and he's taken a big, big fall, fall from the mighty, and, uh, you know, after his US Ada case, you know, he's been the ostracized, and you know, he's, he's been the evil evildoer, uh, and he's paid perhaps a higher price than some of the other uh, ex-dopers, but... You know, many people saw him as the uh, the kingpin of the whole kind of operation there during, especially when he was the uh, really the patron of the peloton. And even when Lance came back a little bit into the public eye uh, with his uh, podcast f- um, Forward, he hasn't really
0: dabbled too much into cycling. So this is really his first foray back into, you know, really what was his life for 20 years. Yeah, I mean, he's being a commentator on pro cycling, on the Tour de France, which is not something that... Uh well, it's not something he said he would ever do. That's for sure, as you will find out. Uh, let's let's tune into this conversation between Hoodie here and David Walsh.
1: It's, he has his podcast now. He's on Outside Magazine during this tour, which yeah. is a big mainstream magazine. Yeah, he's doing Facebook Live commentary. Yeah, do you think Lance deserves to have a comeback ticket to the sport, or what are your thoughts about that? It,
2: it doesn't bother me either way. I mean, Lance used to say during what he might look back on us to good days. He used to say, when all you guys are still covering this race, asking your stupid questions about doping, he says, I'll be on the beach opening opening a cool beer and I won't be thinking about this stuff. And now all the years have passed and I saw some podcasts yesterday where, where, where Lance was doing some kind of debrief on, second sta- on the second stage of the Tour de France, a flat stage for sprinters where the debrief should take about four seconds. And I just thought, Lance, it wasn't meant to be like this. <laughs> you were meant to be on the beach, cracking, over, cracking open the beers. He, he
1: definitely had a different ending to his story <laughs> than, than what he's been going through.
2: Yeah, you know? yeah. I mean, you know, d- you know, <laughs> um, deconstructing the second stage of the Tour de France was meant to be left for ordinary mortals like you and I, journo's <laughs> who who had to eke out a living doing this. Yeah. Um, but it was meant to have been better for him what, but, what but, do you see
1: that as, as like, a, like a grasp for relevancy do you think on his part yeah I, mean, you know, I, I think I he, mean, he's been through a lot he, no matter yeah, what you think about the
2: guy yeah of course he has you know um, some people would say self-inflicted mm. and, and and while he was self-inflicting he was trying to inflict on other people as well right. um, especially people like Betsy Andreo and M.L. O'Reilly and Steven Swart and all those people who got screwed by him mm. but I understand he wants to kind of get back on the ladder that would take him to kind of social respectability i, I, I get that and i i probably get that is about the only way he could do that i have a sense that america is not very interested i think over in europe we're more interested in him than his people are yeah. and I suppose you know he's certainly entitled to try to get back into that that corral that's marked social.
1: Has he asked you, you to, come to come on his podcast?
2: No, no, <laughs> I, I don't expect he will. I uh,
1: never know. It'd be a good conversation. Yeah, 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 it would. Because um, he could ask you questions.
2: Yes, right. yeah, absolutely. But I would, uh, I would first have to decide whether I wanted to or not, wouldn't I?
1: <laughs> <laughs> Swimming in some uh, treacherous waters, maybe. Uh, yeah, or yeah, interesting well, about uh, Interesting,
2: water. but, but you know what? Good luck to him. I mean, he's kind of trying back towards social respectability. But in a general sense, it's my attitude is leave him to it.
1: Yeah. Because it's interesting. Cycling like always has this kind of uh, inconsistencies in how certain figures are welcomed back into the fold or to the family. Yeah. And you see guys like Varank, you know, Jalibert on TV, you see uh, Jan Urik on yeah. the other side of the river yeah. of the Rhine not invited you know even to the, to the start as an official guest yeah but I guess that also reflects who's gone through penance you know in the, the sense of yeah Jan the comments from Marcel Gooder were that Jan hasn't really come, stepped forward and told the true story right
2: yeah yeah and I think that's fair mm. and, uh, and and Lance to a large degree has thanks Lance deserves to be allowed back I don't know it's for other people to decide I'm not I'm not You know, I remember too much of the bad side of Lance because, um, you know, it was a long fight. Yeah. I mean, always, you know, and when he went to court, you know, against the Sunday Times, Hmm. he didn't know that that wasn't going to end my journalistic career. I imagine he hoped it would end my journalistic career. and, uh, And if it had, he certainly wouldn't have lamented. Yeah, yeah. So, of course, I'm going to have a particular view. Sure. I mean, you know, those those court documents they filed in London—they were perjury. Yeah. Perjury, as as uh, as Dustin Hoffman said in the film, is not like telling little white lies to journalists. Mm. It's a different thing. And in, In, in that case
1: you know, had a big chilling effect on all journalists. Yeah. Because we said, look, it David Walsh and the London Times, the biggest yeah. newspaper in the world, yeah. gets the thumb down. That's right. That had a chilling effect on everyone. Yeah,
2: it had. And uh, it certainly was, I spent, I spent a large part of two years going from my home near Cambridge down to London to meet lawyers and barristers, discussing this case endlessly and getting the witnesses lined up. And the Sunday Times capitulated, but they capitulated because it cost them a million pounds. Yeah. You know, it's a lot of money for a newspaper that are not making much money. That's right. So, it was, uh, that was a tough time. But I, it wasn't me. I, I mean, he went after me legally. He went after people like Betsy and them and O'Reilly and Stephen Swart personally. Mm-hmm. Uh, you know, so, so uh, you know, I mean, good luck to Lance on his efforts to to get back, that's what I say, you know, I mean it, he's entitled to do it, yeah. but but uh, don't expect me to be there cheering along the side <laughs> Perfect. Perfect. Okay, Thanks
0: David. Getting back on our time machine stepping back into uh, today's Peloton, well, uh, let's leave let's leave yesterday's Peloton behind once again one of the hot issues always in the first week of the Tour de France is how do you avoid or not avoid, how do you minimize some of the crashes uh, and one of the big things that's come up and one of the big rule changes that's that's been made for this year is this three-second rule. Hoodie, you talked to a whole bunch of people about this today. First of all, explain what this is, why it matters, and then let's jump into the conversation you had, or two conversations you had, with uh, Bernie Eisel and Matt White. That's right, Kaylee. The, the, it's kind of a, something they were working on
1: last year. And the issue is the GC riders, quote, getting in the way of the sprints. Um, the big worry is... Um, how, the, how the jury decides where a split begins and ends in, in the peloton. And of course, it's very important in mountaintop finishes, hilltop finales, breakaways. That's, of course, cut, pretty much cut and dry. But when the big bunch comes sprinting in, a lot of times you'll see rider number 52 might just pull up, might have done a big pull with 100 meters to go. He pulls up. Suddenly a gap opens up, and then everyone caught on the backside of that, of that gap can lose quite a bit of time because the time is taken, of course, from the first rider of the first group to the first rider of the second group,
0: not from the last rider of the first group to the first rider of the second group. So the time lost isn't the gap. It's the gap between, yeah, the second group and the first rider, which, right. is, which can be, yeah, it can be five, six, seven, ten seconds. That's you know? right. So it's been... A real push over the last really
1: kind of several years, we're seeing all the big GC riders and the GC teams almost railing in these sprints like they're uh, on, on a sprint train, protecting firm, protecting port, whoever their guy is, Contador. And so not only just three or four sprint trains, you got three or four GC trains in there. It's a big mess. It's been a big issue, a
0: big worry really for the last several years half the peloton wants to be in the top 20 riders and that the math just does not work so what's the new rule what what are they changing how are they improving this so what they're doing now
1: before the rule was one second gap between the one bike to the other and roughly rolling along at uh 50 k's an hour or so in a bunch sprint that's about 15 to 17 meters so you can you know 17 meters about 35 feet that's a relatively large gap but what they've done now is decided that on only on bunch of sprints where it's a flat run in, no sort of hilltop finales, no sort of, you know, it doesn't apply to breakaways, they're expanding that from one to three seconds. And at that speed, everyone says that's about 50 meters, which is about a half of a football field. Mm-hmm. So that is a big, big gap, which means. Everyone's hoping that's going to take all the pressure off these GC guys because they know that if they're within a half of a football field, links within the bunch, especially looking at that last 500 meters, they're not going to lose time.
0: Yeah, so they've essentially, they've changed the definition of a gap. And a gap is no longer one second. A gap is now three seconds. So, But it's, e-
1: but it's still a decision by the commissaires. So there's still going to be a lot of
0: people really saying, well, you know, we have to wait and see how they apply this rule. Right. So – Let's hear from Bernie Isel, who is one of Mark Cavendish's chief leadout man. He's obviously uh, he's complained in the past about the presence of GC riders up in the sprints when they really are not wanted there. Let's throw that one.
1: What's your take on this new rule, the three second rule they're having for the bunch sprints? You know how it gives more space for the GC riders. You think It's a good, good idea,
6: or oh yeah, definitely. I mean, it's uh, what we always ask. We would even ask for a little bit more. Uh, at the moment, we it will take some time to implement it for everybody. Nobody understands it really right now. We could see yesterday it was a bit more relaxed on the last K, but it was a flat finish, uh, f- straight, uh, straight and flat finish. So let's see when it gets a bit more tricky. And uh, at the end of the day, what I've, how I understand it, it's still the decision by the commissaire, the jury, right? Yeah. So it's not a computer who makes the decision. So that's good. And uh, but.
2: It's when it's GCC, when it's a, yeah.
6: when it's about money and uh, you you don't want to jeopardize the race, so everybody is just trying to protect his uh, lead as much as he can and bring him to the front and but it's different scenarios. We I'm I'm watching uh, Tino Tibor, Royal Bino Tibor riding l- in the back of the peloton on his own without protection, Fabio Aru at the front without protection on just on his own doing skills, and then you see other teams just lining up, lining up all day, three weeks. It's gonna be a, it's a long three weeks. It's gonna be a long two right? <laughs> And so yeah, you can't. This is like a rule. We can't make it uh, like. I wouldn't mind to have it like twenty k's to go oh, at really? the same time. Yeah, like, okay. If nothing happens, yeah. it's like if it's flat finished like yesterday. If you take the time twenty k's to go, it's, twenty it's k's take, to go. Yeah. Why not? <laughs>
7: I at the just end take. of the day, it is, right.
6: it's just uh, probably makes it easier and safer for everybody.
1: But this is the rule. Yeah, just stick it and then because some argue that's part of being a, a complete GC rider to be able to negotiate. Of all, course, all, all I, mean, I, I mean, I
6: always skills. say, I always say, like you have to, you need all the skills, and uh, but. At the moment we see pretty much every cheesy rider stepping up and using all these skills he got now. And really like a uh, uh, few of them are like still <laughs> fine. <laughs> can still do it. it? Uh, yeah, could, could improve a little bit the handling, but it is, uh, the sun is out now, so everything is a little bit more relaxed. It takes the edge off, yeah. Yes, a and especially when, uh, good thing with the tour is like La Blanche de Belfi is stage five then uh, a few teams already know where they are Yeah. then you still couldn't wait. if you have a good press guy you still could turn it around and still hope
1: for
6: your mm. GC hopes but I think we after stage five everybody knows where he's good encouraging not. result yesterday with Cav right In fourth fourth was good could yeah. have finished third okay uh, but uh, yeah yeah uh, we continue, we see is uh, there, but still we see Kittlers in uh, splendid form and many other sprinters and to match them, I think it's uh, too early and not fair to him. So we go day by day. Today's another opportunity for Edward yeah or our Belgium Uh and so we see, it. it's like uh, everything is possible,
0: and uh, three weeks is a long time. thanks a lot. Appreciate Thank it. Thank you. Cheers. I'm not sure taking time at 20k's is the best <laughs> idea. I think that that would, I think that would alter the sport quite dramatically. Uh, I can definitely see why. You know, I think he was maybe exaggerating a little bit. Uh, I can, but I can still see why. You know, that. I can see why that opinion exists, right? It's well, if, you're, if you're a sprinter, you're just like, who the hell cares? No one cares about GC today. Get the GC guys out of here. Best way to do, do, do that job. is let them basically sit up at 20K to go. And then on the other side
1: of the argument, I, I spoke to Rolf Aldag, whom is uh, also a Dimension Data Sports director. And he was saying that, kind of making the counter argument that, being a bike handler, being able to handle the, those those tense uh, bunch sprints, that's just part of the the, the the resume that you need to be a, G, a true all-rounder GC contender. He, he pointed out said, okay, well, you take away the last 2Ks, 3Ks, 30, 20Ks, you take that out of a bunch sprint and say, okay, guys, that's too hard for the GC guys. And he threw it back the other way and said, what about the sprinters who get time cut on the climb up Alpe Duez? You know, there's a time limit, they have to suffer, they have to get to the, the top of that mountain by a certain time limit or they're out of the race. And he said that, well, gee, oh, if I miss the time limit by 10 seconds, oh, maybe it's
0: too hard, I should just be really to get in anyway. <laughs> Flipping that logic on its head. I really like that, actually, and I think he's right. You know, you, mm. you can't you can't cut the race off that far out. There, there was discussion of taking GC time at 1K or 3K, I think all... All of those, I think it's a fundamentally flawed idea because I don't think you can end the race before the race ends. I think that's wrong. I do think that the redefining what a gap is should help. And I know that Chris Froome, this is something that he was advocating for. had a really brief chat with him on uh, Sunday morning, and he he was pretty positive uh, on this change. He said it's something that they asked for after the Tour de France last year, so he was pretty pleased. Uh, You also spoke with Matt White about this very same thing and and whitey had a pretty interesting pretty interesting viewpoint as well and again whitey is one of those guys along with george bennett uh, and nate brown who we're going to have back on the podcast a number of times throughout the month of july
8: a sprint at 60 kilometres now the old rule was that if there was anything more than one second, right. that was when the time started from, from that gap. And now it's three seconds. Yeah. So at 60k an hour, uh, it's 50 metres is yeah. the gap. And 50 metres is a big gap. So I, I think because it's a tour, because of the nerves, I don't think the guys will will change the way they race too much yeah. um, but I think once, once we see a few of the bunch sprints and I think they're only implementing in 6 or 7 stages the, the pure fat, the, the flat sprints yeah. I think uh, when the riders see that oh, there was gaps but there wasn't a time gap I think people will warm to it and I think, I think it's a great start yeah. to, re, to relieve because there has been a lot of crashes more crashes than normal over the last few years because of the stress of, of certain teams having their GC riders yeah, basically doing the sprint well, was crazy too when you had your GC guys in there, and say
1: your man leading out the sprint, the sprinter peels off. Yeah. There's that gap, 17 meters.
8: Yeah. And then you could have your GC guy lose nine seconds yeah. just because of some ridiculous gap. So yeah, yeah, that makes sense. So I think it's a start. I, I personally would, I, I would mind seeing at 3k to go, the, the time stop. Right. I, I personally wouldn't mind seeing that. But yeah, look, yeah. we're working with the AI GCP and through the through the official channels, and it's, I think it's a really good start. Yeah, yeah. What's your take? on uh, eight man teams yeah well, it's, a, it's an interesting one because I think what it does is it sort of uh, it might not seem much one rider but if you've got a rider who is a little bit one dimensional you know, a, a sprint guy who doesn't climb at all, uh, a climber who doesn't team's time trial, or depending on what your team's goals are, it's going to make life difficult for those guys to get a start because right or like the guy you bring in for the TTT team Yeah, okay. if you're right. a triple T specialist, if, he, yeah. if that's all he does, yeah, maybe he doesn't get a spot anymore. Yeah, you know? or if you got a if you've got a sprint group as well, trying to mix a sprint group with the GC group, well, that's it makes a difference it yeah. makes a difference what about like three injuries and stuff like that i mean you lose one guy yeah look, nine-man team it's not that big of a deal no nah, well we've lost three or four in a, in a day so <laughs> you, you, you learn to adapt to it but uh yeah every guy matters every guy definitely matters especially yeah. when you're riding gc so
0: i think the general consensus is that this is a good move uh, i think that you know obviously some would like it to go farther uh very few say that this is a, a, a bad thing. I don't think that anyone really that we spoke to is saying that, that this th- new three-second rule is a bad thing. Uh, so a good a good change. You know, rules do change. They, they change as the sport changes. Um, they need to be adaptable. So kudos to the ASO for doing what needed to be done here. And the UCI. And the UCI. We're going to close out today's podcast with another of our regular tour de france contributors uh this is george bennett so <laughs> george he told me this morning monday morning that he was going to give stage three a go uh pretty steep finale i then saw him at the top and <laughs> he was looking a little bit haggard said it was a it was a really really hard finish bit of a long buster of a finish uh he then sent this little diary from his hotel room uh, Monday evening.
7: Hello, everybody. Uh, George Bennett here, coming to you pre-recorded from a hotel somewhere in. I'm going to say Luxembourg, but we could be in France, or we could even be, uh, we could even be in Belgium. <laughs> Not really sure. Geography's off. Anyway, on the Tour de France. Uh, recovering from a pretty hectic day today. Um, yeah, it wasn't really my uh, favourite day of bike racing. I mean, it all went well until the last few K. And, yeah, started a bit far back and got ass-carded, really. If you, uh, by the time all the lead-out men swing off and just in 60th wheel, it's uh, pretty hard to get to the front. But anyway, we're three days, three days deep in the tour um, and yeah it didn't it hasn't started well actually uh dropped myself on the first uh about four four corners into the tour um on some pretty greasy roads in dusseldorf and uh, even my mechanic had a hard time staying on two two feet and then we yeah had a nice day yesterday i guess and uh yeah some guys lit it up pretty early today and and we held on for dear life for the last 60k Uh, Pretty amazing here seeing lead out trains for GC guys that start 40k out from the finish line and turns into a pretty crazy drag race, so I'm hoping these boys can't do that for three weeks, and if they can, well, I don't remember it being like that last year, (laughs) anyway. um, Stay tuned, hopefully we'll have some good news or some exciting stories to tell of uh, epic breakaways and stage battles when we hit the big mountains, but for now I'm just staying out of trouble and... I'll go about working out what country I'm in and uh, see if my data roaming charges are going to sting me too much to keep doing this. Thanks for listening. Talk to you soon. Hoodie, I don't actually know what country we're in either. Uh, <laughs> well, on this side, we're in Luxembourg.
0: Across that river, we're in that's Germany. It's true. We're about, uh, what, three, 400 meters away from Germany just that's, across? That's what's great about Europe. I mean, yeah. you, you jump on a train, you jump
1: in a car, you do a Tour de France stage, you co- we went through uh, three or four countries in the last uh,
0: thirty-six hours. <laughs> in the last six hours, yeah, I think. Well, that wraps it up for today. Uh, this is this is goodbye from the Vela News podcast uh, Monday evening here in Europe. You are probably getting this sometime Tuesday morning. You can expect another episode of the Vela News podcast on Friday with more Nate Brown, more George Bennett, more hoodie, more me, unfortunately, and whoever else we speak to here in France. Thanks for listening.